I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole Imperial Guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And, the, and most of the brothers, have, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in, in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to, to depart and be with Christ, for that is the far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Let us pray. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Our Lord, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. Well, uh, uh, there's something very interesting about this sermon. I, I'm going to be, uh, I shouldn't say about this sermon, about this passage. Let's hope there's something interesting about this sermon that you like. Um, this, uh, this sermon was, uh, we're going to be going through all of Philippians. That's what I'll be doing for the next four or five weeks, uh, maybe even a lot, on a little bit past that. And trust me, if you read Philippians, you'll see why. Uh, you'll know, uh, especially in chapter four, a lot of the positive verses that you first remember memorized when you were uh, younger uh, come from Philippians four. You'll see. Uh, it, but beyond that, uh, there's another reason why. The history of Paul's relationship with the Philippian church is one of, of a uh, very special uh, bond. You see it, you hear it, and it's nice. Um, does anyone know what's going on in 1 Corinthians? If you're familiar with 1 Corinthians, Paul lights into them, and he starts yelling at them. Right? If you know what's going on in Ephesians and Colossians, Ephesians he's been to, Colossae he's never been to. And he speaks to them, and he doesn't even know them, at least the Colossians, and he lights into them. He starts yelling at them. Everyone familiar with this? Paul uh, uses his letters. If you get a letter from Paul, um, even today, if you get a letter from Paul today, um, get excited at first, and then get very nervous, because he's going to say something to you that you're probably not going to like. That's what Paul does. Philippians are a little bit different, this book, this letter, rather. A little different. 
If you read Philippians, he's had one. It's a, it's, it's a church made up of uh, Roman centurions, retired Roman soldiers. It's, it's a church made up, it's a Roman area, first off. It's not a Jewish area, primarily. It's not a, a, a Greek-centric area. It is a Roman area. It is a Roman area like him. He's a Jew, very much a Jew, and we'll speak about that. But he's also Roman. He's a Roman Jew. And he's bold about that. And so I think what you get is a very beautiful context here where he speaks to them as friends because they have a lot of commonality. That, uh, that, that is what you get with Philippians. Um, but beyond that, you get a sense that these are Roman soldiers, that there's Roman soldiers in that area. You get what? You get one main area, one main thing. They know how to work hard. They know how to sacrifice for a greater good. And they know how to work as a team. Um, if you want to look at what Paul's letters were, Paul's letters, uh, says, don't be like those people. They don't know how to deal with discipline or they don't know how to be, uh, give uh, all to the Lord or oh, they're trying to detract people. He speaks to them and he's really bold with them. With Philippians, he's just giving them warnings. Hey, beware of this, guys. That's going to happen. I would, hate for, I would hate for me to start yelling at you like I do with the Corinthians folks. That happened. We have a situation with Philippi that is beautiful. But we also have a situation where Paul is in prison and his ministry is coming to an end. He speaks about it. We just, we just caught it. He's, if I'm, uh, I'm in prison and I'm being a witness while I'm in prison, I'm being a witness to my, my, my fellow brothers, or for, to, to the, my captors. I'm letting them know who I am and who Jesus is and, and what he's doing, what Christ is up to, all this stuff. You hear this, this notion. And we just read that text. And uh, what's beautiful about this is, he says, for me, for Christ, is to, turn to verse 21. He says, to die is gain. You get this sense. 21, please. For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. I can remember when I first heard that passage, when I first read it, when I was a young, uh, when I was a young Christian. I thought that was him being dramatic. I thought that was him being like, oh, I just can't wait to escape, to be poured out like an offering, a drink offering on the, on the altar. Oh, I just can't wait for that to happen. I did. I used to think that initially. And then I, caught, I started getting at what he was trying to say here. Um, if you were in prison, what's the one thing that you know for sure? Things aren't looking up for you, right? Things aren't getting better. If you are in prison, it kind of can't get worse. Except to die. Except if you have hope in Christ. And that's what he's talking about here. So I have this... this, 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 this image of where we're at as a church, where we are at as people, what we are going to be doing, what we're going to be doing in the next two months, and it struck me. It struck me boldly. You guys know, in August is our last worship service, and we need to talk about that, and I plan to talk about that from the pulpit. And I hope to give you guys hope about what is to come in this, this, this church, about what the kingdom of God is up to in light of what's going on. And let's talk about the most bold one, the most bold thing I could say from this position. This isn't a pulpit, but usually I could say from the pulpit what I could tell you. 
And this is what I will tell you. God's kingdom advances in ways that you don't even understand. It advances with a man who dies in prison. It can advance with, with a man going to the cross and dying. It advances in ways that do not look like it advances the way we want them to often, right? Do you think Paul wants to be there right now in reality? He says, oh, for me to die is gain. I don't think he fully gets that. I think if he had his opportunity, he would be out there telling people about Christ in freedom yet again. But he knows God's will for him, and he knows his plan is to go through some difficult things, right? And for the sake of him going through difficult things for the advancement of the gospel, that is all for the better. I'm going to re-say that again. I'm going to try to say it in a different way. If things stink for a while, for the advancement of the gospel, amen. Right? If stuff's tough for a while, for the advancement of the gospel, Jesus be praised. Amen. We need to realize this. This is what we need to realize. Paul gets it. But sometimes we want to define what success is, and we want to define what progression is. Um, everything deals with change. Uh, a good friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine, that was that why I wasn't there this Sunday, this past Sunday, I was with him and two other guys. Um, we went on a retreat together. And the one thing that he said that was bold is he's like, God does amazing things. As a matter of fact, God has done amazing things with change. When God goes to the cross, when well, first off, when God becomes man, amazing things happen. When God goes and dies on the cross, amazing things happen. When God uh, takes a yeast and he eats sugar, amazing things happen. He makes wine. He makes all these things. Change makes things great. When you go and you sprinkle cheese on a pizza, it's okay. But when does it become great? It's whenever it changes into melted cheese and baked bread and hot sauce and it turns into pizza, right? Not Velveeta cheese, no. Good mozzarella, good provolone. When you sprinkle that on there and you put that and it changes, it becomes baked. That is good. That's good. Change can be good, but change usually means you have to go into another and be baked. Or change means you have to go through something hard. I've not used the marathon as an analogy, but when I ran that marathon, it took change for me to do that, to accomplish that. I didn't just wake up one day, October 20th, jump out of my bed and start running a marathon. I needed to change my mind, my heart, my attitude. You could talk to one person specifically in this room about my attitude towards running. The greater part of my life was not someone who ever thought that they was going to do a marathon. We all got this, right? You're going through college, you're going through high school. You have to sacrifice, you have to give up. And then you are changed by that sacrifice of studying, of time, right? Change is good, but it doesn't feel good when you're going through it. 
It just doesn't. Paul's getting at this here. Paul is beautifully getting at this. So he goes on and he says, If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yes, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. He's saying, I don't know. He's basically saying, look, I'm in a bad place right now. If I go on and die, that's going to be good. If not, that's going to be good too. <laughs> but I know that I'm going through something right now. And he's telling his brothers and sisters this. People that he loved, that he loves. Let's go back to the first part of this verse, this chapter, or rather this, this section. This is my favorite epistle. I, I can teach on this often. In chapter 2, you'll see one. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What, is, what has happened to Paul? Well, let, what, maybe it would be a shorter list if we talked about what didn't happen to Paul. What hadn't happened to Paul was he didn't get a back massage for the sake of the gospel. He didn't get a nice car for the sake of the gospel. He didn't get a nice big building to live in for the sake of the gospel. What did he get for the sake of the gospel? Beaten, stoned, pushed around, killed, closely killed rather, constantly. If you don't believe me, read Acts. Started chapter 15, maybe a little bit earlier. You get it. You get a sense of what's going on with Paul. And things are not easy. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. He's not being a rebel. He's not doing this out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And he speaks about that later. He says, he's not doing these things out of his own desire. Hey, look at me. Look at how awesome I am. He's doing this for the sake of Christ. So I take what Paul's doing and I put it in our own lives. I put it in our own lives. What good Sam's doing is for the sake of the gospel. It doesn't seem like it right now. I can see why it doesn't seem like it. But I believe, and I think the consistory believes, and the church believes, and in two years, when you come back into this place, you will see the advance of the gospel. And we hold, we hold to that right now. We hold to the hope that Christ will still be proclaimed in this place. So what are we called to do? Precisely what Paul did. That while you are going through something difficult, while you are going through something you kind of wish didn't happen, what doesn't look like the advance of the gospel, doesn't look like it's better, doesn't look like this is what I had it all planned out to be, even though that's what you're going through, you will be a witness to his glory. You will proclaim his goodness in this place and in that place. And that's what you do right now. You don't say, woe is me. You don't say, wow, look how pious I am, look how holy I am. You just say, Jesus is Lord, and he is glorious, and we're doing it for his sake. That's what we're doing, and that's what you're called to do now. 
That is the hope we have. I can't explain much more than that. To live as Christ and to die as being. And that's where we are as a church. And by the way, I don't know if you know this, but that's where you are as, Christ, as a Christian. You've already died. Did you know that? In Christ, you no longer live. But Christ lives in you. The life you live right now, you live by faith in the Son of God who loves you and gave his life for you. So much worse can happen to us than this. So amen that it's just this. Father God, we ask that you please put a blessing on what we are about to do here today. We ask that you please uh, draw our hearts and minds closer to you through communion and through this, this public profession of faith.